0: Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This is Spaces Podcast, where we aim to elevate the appreciation and understanding of the spaces we occupy every day. Hello! My name is Demetrius. Jason is out, but you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Today, in our first episode of Season 4, we have an express for you, and we have a guest joining us today. He is the Director of Sustainability at Canon Design. Uh, He wouldn't want me to mention these, but I'm going to do it anyway. He's an award-winning architect, 12-time author, global speaker, and TEDx speaker. Please help me welcome Eric Corey Freed.
1: Eric, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, glad to have you. So you recently wrote a book. Um, We'll get into that in a second. But before we get into that, Let's talk a little bit about uh, you and anything in your intro that you want to, in your bio that you want to leave our listeners with, just to let them know a little bit more about you.
1: Well, I'm an architect. And so for the last 30 years, I've been designing green buildings. And it's funny because 30 years ago, 30 years ago, I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'll only have to convince people for another five years and then green building will become (laughs) so mainstream That we won't need to talk about it anymore and now it's 30 (laughs) frigging years later and we're still talking about some of these basic issues of gosh you know if you leave a building in the sun it gets hot and (laughs) and uh (laughs) and energy is expensive and you know i I feel like we've been having the same conversations over and over again and we're slowly learning our lessons and getting better
0: yeah that's so funny that you mentioned that because we did an episode on sustainability in some form and uh we do sort of a historical reference and we were talking about in the seventies, how this became this thing. And everybody was like, Oh, it's so important. We got to address this right now. And everybody was changing design and all this other stuff. And it's like, uh, we're still having the same conversations and trying to figure out how to convince people that, you know, this is something we need to deal with.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, it's, if you look at the history of climate change, it dates back to 1856. So pre-Civil War in terms of, The first scientific observations that we might be warming the atmosphere by heat trapping gases that's 1856 and then if you really look at the structural history of climate change every president since jfk so that's 1960 every president since jfk has been briefed on the threat of climate change to the country and every president has tried to do something about it but pretty much failed so it's it's been with us for a long time And it's always funny to me when, you know, I meet people and they go, so what's this new field that you're talking about? I'm like, new. (laughs) Why do you think it's so
0: slow to gain any traction? I'm sure there's the, you know, the political side, but is that all, or you think it's something else?
1: You know, I, I think it's because the idea of climate change is such a large problem that it's what scientists call an out of context problem. It's almost too big to imagine for our little, <laughs> our little human brains to process, because think about it. We're trapping gases in this spherical thing that's rotating around the sun every 365 days, and we're slowly warming the planet. That's pretty easy to understand. But when you then tell people, yeah, but all of your food systems, all of the ecosystems, uh, your entire way of life is at risk. That's too much for people to process. You know, I've I've had my entire life to get used to the idea of <laughs> this dark future. And I yeah. can joke about it. But for a lot of people, especially like my grad students, this is all so new and it you know, it's the, the weight of it can be crushing and overwhelming. And I, I get that and appreciate it.
0: And I'm sure it adds to the difficulty when people argue that it's not a spherical thing that is trapping <laughs> gases. <laughs> it's a flat coin. <laughs> With a dome over it, right. so I'm sure you've had some fun uh approaching that topic too
1: well, you know i pre- you know before the pandemic anyway you know i I'd speak at about fifty conferences a year, so i'd I'd go all over the country and it was very common for me to get hecklers mm. they're very energetic and they're usually a lot of fun and there's a lot of laughter, but every now and again I'll get a heckler at my talk and um i you know I've been doing it for so long that i you know i'm I can totally de- destroy a heckler if they if they, <laughs> they want to scream out something from the audience. But I have to say, it's it's usually always a certain demographic that's the heckler, which is like older white dude, you know, above fifty five. <laughs> yeah. I just I single that group out, but that tends to be who heckles, like hey, you know, this climate change isn't real, and on what you know, whatever else they say. But you know, that's that's fine. That's funny.
0: So since it's such a big topic, how do you try to break that down for your audience?
1: I generally look at a couple things. One is I I always try to express the urgency of the change where I know it's uncomfortable, I know it's difficult to talk about, but this is dire. And hopefully in a way that's that they can consume. Number two, I try to break it down into actions that are meaningful. And they don't involve, hey, you sh- you're, you're a bad person, you should buy less. I, I don't think that's a very good argument for anybody. Making people feel guilty about their life is no way to, infect change. Instead, I'd, I'd much rather raise issues around, you know, we need to have a national price on carbon. We need to have standards around how we build our buildings and how we build our cars. These are things that are very easy to do. We've known about them for years and they're very easy to legislate. Really putting them into bite-sized actions, and then third, I I really want to give them hope. There is a way out of this. We have the solutions to do this. We just have to do it.
0: Yeah. What is the urgency that you're feeling?
1: The urgency is that in the last decade, carbon levels have increased by more than 20 parts per million. Today, as we're sitting here speaking, they're at about 420 some parts per million. The highest they've been in 4 million years. The last time carbon levels were this high globally. There were trees at the south pole so this is all unprecedented and everything you've seen in the last decade around you know hurricanes and wildfires and storms is all getting worse uh 2021 is is still not done yet but it will be one of the five hottest years on record we already know that in fact the last five years have been the five hottest years on record and that's just something we're gonna just keep saying now because that's how normalized it's become so the, the urgency is that we have changed the climate. We're experiencing now in real time the effects of this climate crisis. This isn't this abstract thing anymore. You know, it used to be that you'd have to go to Alaska or Cuba where people could point and say, see that glacier, it's never receded that far. See this, see, it's never been that low. Or, you know, they, they've, they've had evidence in the fringes. Well, now you're seeing evidence of this in New York City and LA and Miami and Atlanta, right? So we're all experiencing... Mm-hmm. The effects of this. And hopefully that's getting people to to take this seriously and take action.
0: I think Phoenix is experiencing like a record. I don't know if they hit six, but they had a record five days of over 115 degrees consecutive days. Uh, I think previous record was four, going back to like the 60s or something like that. So yeah, it's uh, getting scary. I have friends that sent me photos of them frying eggs (laughs) on, uh, on the sidewalk or a dashboard or sidewalk. One of the two trash cans melting, uh, on the sidewalk. It's, uh, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. And by the way, don't eat off the sidewalk. If you learn nothing (laughs) from this, please eating off the sidewalks, probably not sanitary.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good tip. Um, I wanted to jump back. You you talked about the parts per million. Can you simplify that uh, for people that may not know exactly what you mean by the uh, 420
1: parts per million? So, Is there a simplification? uh, The simplification is that the atmosphere is pretty complex. It's not just oxygen, but it's lots of different chemicals. The trouble is that if the balance gets too out of whack and we have too much carbon or methane in the atmosphere, the sunlight comes into the earth and gets trapped. Uh, A lot of sunlight and heat is supposed to bounce back in space where it belongs, but instead it gets trapped and the earth starts to cook a little bit. And that's why global temperatures have increased everywhere. And that's why the polar ice caps have been melting and will continue to melt. The earth is warmer than it needs to be. And really all of nature is just trying to find some sort of balance, some sort of equilibrium. And by us trapping these gases in the air and, and trapping this heat on the planet, we're throwing that balance out of balance. It's also interesting in that the more carbon levels increase worldwide the more it affects our ability to think so we've we found in offices for example after lunch everybody comes back from lunch they just had a big burrito or whatever and they start (laughs) their bodies are digesting and they're giving off a lot of co2 as they're breathing and as co2 levels get above a thousand inside it affects their cognitive ability so everybody feels sleepy like at two o'clock in the afternoon in their office and what we found is you're not sleepy. It's that your brain is being starved of oxygen <laughs> and, and yeah. it's dumbing you down. And so we, we tie the systems to measure the CO2 in the air inside your office. And then that way, if it gets above a thousand, the fans kick on and flood the building with fresh air. And suddenly everybody, everybody perks up like a daisy in the sun because now their brains can think again. That's
0: fascinating. It's pretty wild. So where is all of this CO2, methane? Where's all of that coming from?
1: It comes from uh, really three main sources. The production of electricity is the number one, right? We typically burn coal or gas to produce electricity. We We don't burn oil to produce electricity, oddly enough, just gas or coal, generally. We also produce some electricity with solar panels and with wind turbines and with nuclear, but most of it worldwide is by burning coal and gas, and that releases lots of emissions in the air. Number two is cars most cars are gas powered and their exhaust is going in the air. So 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions are just from cars. And then the third bucket is industry, all the stuff we make. And there are three things in particular that we make that are the worst concrete, steel and aluminum. Those three are, are bad, but you know, everything we make has some sort of environmental footprint. So between the electrical generation, the vehicles, and then industry, those three buckets are basically where all these carbon emissions are coming from. All really there to to create this way of life that we've taken for granted, but it comes at a great cost.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to throw two heckler comments at you probably. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure you probably heard this before. People say, well, it's like extreme cold in some in some locations how is that global warming and i know they changed the terminology but how is that global warming how is the sun being trapped making me cold uh where is that global warming at right what is your response to that heckler
1: oh yeah gosh I, you know every it feels like every winter i get those posts on social media or or sometimes <laughs> texted directly to me you know i could use some of that global warming now well it's that's kind of a dumb statement uh essentially the entire planet is a giant um turbine of energy right the sun heats the earth the hot air rises and then cold air rushes in to take its place it's it's a giant engine we have things like the gulf coast along the east coast right that goes from florida all the way up to new england and that's what generates weather it's why florida is warm and new york and any new england are are cooler right those are Mm -hmm. engines conveyor belts that go around the entire planet and that's what generates weather so imagine now if you have you look at the earth as a whole system and now you're heating that up Right, And in heating it up, you're melting the polar ice cap. So you're flooding the ocean at the tops and the bottoms with fresh water instead of seawater. That's interfering with those conveyor belts. It's interfering with that weather pattern. And now you're getting warm water and cold water in places that you don't want. Well, that's where hurricanes come from. Where you're getting hot air rising and cold air rushing in, that's where tornadoes come from. Or you're getting awful drought in areas that used to be lush and now they're drying out and becoming deserts. Well, that's where wildfires come from. So all of this heat is making a more unpredictable world. And that includes stronger storms in winter, stronger storms in summer. You know, we still have seasons, but you're going to get colder, colds, hotter, hots, more extremes and human beings, believe it or not, we like it in a pretty narrow range. We generally like it (laughs) like 65 to 75. That's basically where we like to be. And these extremes are getting pushed to the side. So you're you're seeing record snowfalls in winter and record, you know, record heat waves in summer, and it's just going to continue.
0: Yeah. Okay. So the other one is that this is just a natural occurrence. We're just in a normal cycle. Everybody's freaking out because they just want us to be concerned about nothing. What's, have you heard that one and what is that response? Yeah,
1: that's another one. That's a great little talking point that people bring up. Well, technically we should be in a cooling cycle right now. If we're looking at global cycles with global samples, we've been tracking weather data for the last, I don't know, 150 years with, um, core samples, we can go back tens of thousands of years and see what the cycles are. And there's nothing normal about what's been happening in the last 200 years, essentially, with the advent of the industrial revolution, when we started burning stuff to generate power and, and industry. And we started putting all this, all these heat trapping gases in the air, things have been going off the rails, right? And it's been slowly building up forever. So it's not at all part of a normal cycle. Uh, the numbers that we're seeing are just staggering and none of this is normal and we should never think of it as normal. And I get that response. I get it's a very human response to say, no, this is, that's too big. It's uh, it, that can't be the case. I don't want to believe it. I get it. I don't want to believe it either. But unfortunately, I have a brain and I can read data and I talk to you know climate scientists and work with them very closely. And, and the evidence is, um, is depressing and overwhelming. Uh, so we need to do something about it. The other way to th- think about it is this. If I told you that, um, hey, um, your house is on fire and you said, no, it isn't. I go, yeah, it is. We have monitoring stations that are looking at your house right now and I can tell you it's on fire. You go, no, I, I love my house. I get that you love your house. Well, I don't want it to be on fire. I don't want it to be on fire either, but it's on fire. Can you please come with me and we can go do something about it? <laughs> well, I don't know if I wanna do Like, and then we're arguing about it. I'm like, well, now we're arguing about whether you're gonna actually even go and do something about it. Not even if, no, we're not even, we're no longer even just arguing if it's on fire or not. Like we're just, we we tend to get so off the point that it's it's bizarre and then the last analogy i'll give you is it's kind of like the titanic the titanic is sinking no it isn't why do you say that because i'm on the end that's up in the air we're not sinking how can <laughs> we be sinking if we're this far up in the air uh okay but you can see the ship is sinking well no because i'm up in the you know well the band's still playing yeah but the band's playing because they're trying to distract people from the horror that we're sinking well why would yeah. they be playing like that that's basically the game that we keep playing with with ourselves right? These kind of crazy arguments. And, you know, and then of course you get the people that say, well, I don't believe in icebergs. Okay. Well, that's, you're just totally, you're just totally in a different realm uh, of reality at that point. Um, and so I used to engage, I used to engage with climate deniers much more. I used to argue with them until they'd cry and just totally, I just totally destroy them in an argument. And I don't do that anymore. I I, just, I found that I don't need to waste my time. I'm not here to convince anybody of of anything. I'm here to, I'm here to stop it. And so that, that's what I tend to focus my efforts on. But it's, it's fun to talk to climate deniers every now and again just to um, make them cry. <laughs> so I've heard
0: the, uh, the timeline kind of move all over the place. Is there still time to actually stop it?
1: Stop it? No. Mitigate it, yes. That's probably the way to deal with it. We're basically at this crossroads now, and we've got different degrees of stuff. So if we can keep warming at, you know, at one and a half degrees centigrade or less, which is kind of the the target, then it'll be better. It won't be perfect. It won't be unchanged. The world will still be somewhat different and certain things will change, but at least it'll be manageable. But if if it's two and a half degrees, four degrees or eight degrees, which is where we're headed, talking about a fundamentally very different way of life and i don't mean like oh i can't get avocados when i want anymore i mean i'm talking like a very (laughs) serious difference in way of life millions of people that will have to move uh there will be climate refugees we're already starting to experience that now i presented last week in miami miami has 200 days of sunny day flooding so they're getting flooding as a routine part of their operation and the worst part is they're getting used to it and so uh, you know, I'm working on campuses in Miami and they're they're raising the campuses. I mean, they're they're adding four feet of soil to build it up. Oh my god. And our advice is four feet's not enough. You need to add 14 feet. Well, at some point it doesn't work. So the mayor of Miami Beach once said to me that they were looking at what's called managed retreat, meaning they're gonna have to just abandon Miami Beach by 2050. So there's places wow. on earth that places that don't love that will be uninhabitable and that's that's kind of the problem
0: wow that's scary see how depressing (laughs) it is i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) oh man so um yeah man there's there's so much more i can ask you but uh i'm sure you cover a lot of this in your book um the name of it is the circular economy for dummies uh you want to can I summarize that a little bit?
1: Yeah, the circular economy has been around for a while. It's it's really a way of thinking about systems, and it's and it's a framework for looking at how we could rethink and redesign everything in the world to eliminate waste. That would be eliminating carbon emissions, eliminating trash, eliminating everything. And the amazing part about the circular economy is that major companies have already invested greatly in this framework, including adidas and ikea and amazon and intel and and i got to interview all of them for the book which was kind of great and hearing about how they're implementing this framework to look at how they're making everything and to rethink those things so for example adidas is taking plastic waste from the ocean they're harvesting that waste and making it into new sneakers and those sneakers are recyclable so when you're done with the sneakers adidas can take them back and remake them into new sneakers so they don't become trash for something else that's a good example of a very simple, straightforward circular economy approach. And so that's why I wrote the book, because I'm kind of obsessed with this idea of what a great way to, to look at the world and maybe find some ways out of this mess.
0: Do you dig into sort of our indi- the building industry as well?
1: Yeah. In the book, I went through the building industry, the fashion industry, which I'm not a fashion person, but um, <laughs> obviously. but. But just an immense amount of uh, waste is generated from the fashion industry because they're, you know, they're we're throwing clothes away and they go out of style and all those other things. And so I, we interviewed a lot of companies that are doing things around that. There's one called the Renewal Workshop, which takes not only old clothes but extra surplus clothes that go out of fashion. They catalog them uh, and then resell them and really keeping them out of the landfill. There's another one called Borrow Baby that's based in New York, and they're taking children's clothing that your kids outgrow in a few months you know, when they're, they, you know, go from six months, to eight months old or whatever, they take this clothing and then they resell it. And then when your kid outgrows it, they'll take it back and send you new clothing. It's this true circular system. So it's really quite a clever approach. And there, that was the amazing part about writing the book is that we found hundreds of these companies doing just incredible things that were mind blowing uh, in terms of embracing the circular economy way more than frankly, I, I, I expected. And so we go through we go through the building industry, the fashion industry. We also go through the entire design industry, the manufacturing industry, the waste industry, and talk about opportunities in all of them to not only improve your impact but also make money at the same time. Very cool. Sounds super fascinating.
0: I'm so glad you joined us uh, to educate. Me and uh, I'm sure a few people will, would have learned a few things from this conversation. But if you would like the book, again, it's called Circular Economy for Dummies. It's available now. Uh, I'm sure you can find it anywhere, right? Anywhere and everywhere. Okay. Uh, but we'll put a link to the book and to the website for the book in our show notes. So you can check it out there. Thank you so much, Eric. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for for sitting down with me today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It was great to to chat with you. And um, yeah, uh, what you're doing is really wonderful. So keep it up.
0: Thank you. And to the listeners, thanks again for joining us. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon.